Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is Wednesday, which means we missed our recording on Tuesday, and now we're catching up, and you know what that means. It's episode number 36 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and I got my comrade in gaming commentary with me, the miggity 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 Mac, also known as Maction. Mac, we didn't record the week of the 4th of July. We missed this Tuesday due to me having some things going on, but now we are back. We have a lot to catch up on. What's new, man? You know, Mr. Nice Guy, I feel bad saying it like this, but nothing and everything at the same time. Mrs. The Mac and I, we've had a fantastic past couple of weeks, Um, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's been great, but nothing interesting has been going on. It feels like big things have happened, but really, it's just been a fantastic past couple of weeks. Um, thing, everything's coming up Millhouse, basically. Coming up uh, Millhouse. That's yeah, right. but but apart from that, I mean, like, nothing big. Nothing that I could actually point and be like, hey, guys, this awesome thing happened. I got a promotion at my job or anything like that. No, it's just... It's just been fantastic. That, that's really all I can say about it. Dude, that's cool, man. There, you know what? Sometimes the best times are times when it's quiet. You know what I mean? We're getting old, Mac. We're getting old. We don't like that type of young, you know, 19 to 21-year-old excitement that we used to be into. Now we just like, you know, taking a nap during the day, you know, mm-hmm. maybe reading a book, mm-hmm. you know, sitting on the porch, drinking some lemonade, you know. You don't always got to have something exciting going on. You know, playing some video games, working on the backlog. That's that's a good day. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good day. It feels great. And I mean, exactly, Mr. Nice Guy. Well, I had some cool stuff happen that I want to share, man. So uh, my twin girls, I have I have two boys and two girls. The twins just turned two uh, just this month. And so my mom flew in. Um, and you know, we had some other people come over, uh, and my dad didn't fly in this time. He had some work stuff going on, but we had a really fun party for the twins and I have never met anyone in this universe. You know how we do the nerdiest gaming podcast in the universe. My Mm -hmm. wife does the best party planning in the universe. Like I have never met a person who plans parties that are as awesome as the ones that she plans. So she actually planned a tea party for our girls. And I mean, that's a very girly thing. But the cool thing about it was there was so much food, man. There was more food than I have ever seen at any buffet in America. There were there were ham and cheese wrapped rolls. There were uh, there were like cucumber and cream cheese sandwiches. There was lemonade. There were all kinds of cookies and crackers and snacks. There were I don't know if you know what petite fours are, Mac. Pedif- I I always called them pedophores, but uh, that, but yeah, that, they're like they're like little they're like cupcakes. Yeah, they're like little square shaped cupcakes. They're called petite fours. They're fantastic. Um, I think that for my next birthday party, I am going to have a tea party, just because this food was. I'm, I'm not. I'm not really going to do that. No, but no, this, you should. This, <laughs> this food was so amazing, and then you know a ton of people came over to the house. We had a good time. Uh, the girls were running around, you know, we, we had some people hanging out downstairs. It was just great. It was fun. Um, I've never, and you know, for my, for my, uh, youngest son's first birthday party, it was his golden birthday and my wife threw him a Willy Wonka party. Yeah. 
And uh, and so I mean like there was a point where everything was Willy Wonka themed. So we'd watch a portion of the movie and then we'd go into another room with all the kids and we'd we'd do like part of the movie. So like she hung up fruit roll ups on the wall so you had to like lick the wall. Like it was amazing. Like it was the coolest my wife throws amazing parties is what I'm trying to say. So that was one of the highlights of my week. Also, the 4th of July made some ribs. Uh, I have to talk about this rib failure. Do we have time to elaborate on this? Cause there Mac, is always time for ribs. We've talked before about how I'm a grill master. On the 4th of July, I was not, I was not a grill master, Mac. I almost messed up two racks of ribs. Uh, so I put these ribs on the grill. Did them for two hours, or excuse me, for six hours, low and slow. There's this method called the three-two-one rib method. Uh, I did the three-two-one rib method, and after six hours, I cut into those ribs, and they were raw. So that's not a Fourth of July success, Mac. I don't know what's going on with my grill, uh, but I may need to get it inspected. So, bottom line, we had to throw those ribs in the oven. They didn't turn out quite as desired because you know typically you want them on the grill. Uh, and, and I had some smoke going, too, so they'd be smoky. Uh, almost ruined everybody's dinner, but saved it by throwing them in the oven and doing some brats in the meantime. So, case in point, sometimes you got to have a meat thermometer in there. Don't just trust that the heat is strong enough. Uh, check, the, check that internal temperature. That's what I learned this 4th of July. Uh, and that's been, been some of the highlights of my two weeks. Mac, I say we do what we do best. And we hop right into the gaming news, my friend. What do you think? I think I think we have to, Mr. Nice Guy. For those of you who are here live with us or listening after the fact, once again, this is Two Nerds in a Pod, episode number 36. We're 36% of the way to 100 episodes, and we're going to hop right into this gaming news. First story of the week, Mac, you know about net neutrality. You're nodding. I know you do. And today was kind of a big day in the world of uh, of net neutrality. Let's see. Let's read the Kotaku story because there were a lot of stories about this across the web. Uh, this is obviously on Kotaku.com. It says, Today thousands of websites are protesting the government's recent threats against net neutrality, a harbinger of the internet apocalypse. Internet behemoths like Google, Amazon, which owns Twitch, and Reddit, as well as smaller sites like iFixit and Plays.tv are participating in today's day of action against internet service providers push for, among other things, the right to slow down access to or block competing websites. For gamers, rolling back net neutrality means gaming could get a lot more expensive. Uh, and it kind of goes on to explain what it means. It says, right now the internet is a utility, not a privilege. In 2015, Barack Obama introduced a mandate that forced internet service providers like AT&T, Spectrum, and Verizon to give equal internet access to all consumers, preventing providers from charging more for fast lanes or throttling certain websites. For example, Verizon couldn't stifle access to Vox Media because it's a Comcast venture. Uh, President Trump's Federal Communications Commission chair Ajat Pai wants to repeal Obama's net neutrality rules. He ha- he has said that he favors free and open internet, but he's concerned that the more the internet is regulated, the less incentive service providers will have to compete and improve. Bottom line, guys, uh, to put it in layman's terms, Mac, how would you describe net neutrality to the uninitiated? Like, if you had to explain it very simply, how would you explain it to somebody? Because that was not a real good explanation. If you don't want to field that, let me know and I can kind of break it down. No, no, I'll field it. So, um, the see, the problem is anytime you try and simplify something, especially when it involves a lot of different government agencies, 
um, you're going to lose some of the nuance. And the Kotaku article did an okay job, but it lost a lot of the nuance in there. But the big point, the big article of contention is that people had, you know, internet service providers had already done um, selective throttling of data with competing services. I think the most obvious one was Comcast Netflix. Yeah, um, yeah. And John Oliver did a fantastic job of explaining what was going on, uh, uh, what was going on there, and I won't try to field that. But the idea was being that because so much of what we do, how we interact, I mean, you want to search for a job, you're going to go to the internet first these days. Yeah, if you want to, uh, If you want to pay your bills, you're going to go through the internet first. If you want to do so many things, you're going to do internet first. That's your biggest portal. You want to see some and videos of cute kittens? You know where you're going. It's to the internet. If you want something, you're going to go to the internet to get your hands on it. To the point, to the point that it seems ridiculous to not treat this as a good and service that needs to be sort of guaranteed kind of like you know kind of like school the school system libraries uh you know uh uh, roads things like that so that's kind of the conflict the conflict back and forth with one side saying it is so vital to everything that we do that we need to treat this like a guaranteed utility and the other side saying or at least the new FCC chairman saying no one will invest in broadband if it is that way even though the um, even though the telecom companies themselves have said this does not stop us from investing in broadband so I mean if I was to to break it down in like a sentence for people who may not understand, it basically means you could be charged more based on what you are doing on the internet, right? So, you know, you might be charged a certain amount just for surfing the web, looking for a job, like you said. Or if you're watching Netflix or streaming on Twitch or even just playing games online, you could potentially be charged more for that just because you're using more bandwidth. Net neutrality prevents that. If net neutrality goes away, they could charge more for those things, right? Yeah, that is one of the things that could potentially happen, yeah. Yeah, so there was the protest today, or the, yeah, I guess it was an online protest. Yeah, and, uh, internet, day of internet action. Day of internet action, I'm all about that, you know, I think anyone who is a gamer is about that. And I want to be clear, we're not a political po- podcast, it's not an Obama-Trump thing, it's a, it's, it's a my opinion thing, and I assume Mac's opinion thing too, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but... Um, I don't think that anyone who uses the internet feels that they should be charged more for doing certain things, for watching Netflix, for playing video games, for uh, for whatever. And and who knows? We'll see what happens with it. I hope that net neutrality stays in place. Uh, but we'll we'll move on and 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 uh, and see what happens. Mac, you have any more comments on that, or should I keep it moving? Nope, keep on rolling. All right, guys. And I haven't pulled up the chat yet. Uh, for anyone who is here, welcome to. Episode number 36 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. Uh, Next news story that we've got for today comes from Game Rant. It says, and this is going to interest you, Mac, it says an extremely rare NES game sold via eBay for over $55,000 in Australia, which translates to roughly 42,000 
dollars US. Stadium Events is an NES game that initially launched in North America in 1987. Just the used cartridge alone can sell for several thousands of dollars, but in this case, Stadium Events was still in its shrink wrap and in excellent condition. Another factory sealed copy of Stadium Events was sold in 2010 for just over $41,000, so if anything, $42,000 seven years later seems like a good deal. It's an odd story that's led to not quite popular that's led to a not quite popular game like Stadium Events becoming one of the rarest and most expensive games in history. Bandai initially published Stadium Events in North America, but it has been reported that only 200 ever reached store shelves. Nintendo had issued an immediate recall of Stadium Events in order to rebrand the game as World Class Track Meet and released it as a first party game. It was part of their push to market the power pad peripheral and Stadium Events gave the accessory a fitness application. So, uh, Mac, $55,000 for a game. If I'm ever in a position to do that, I'm absolutely not doing that. Um, unless I'm trying to start a video game museum. Now, that said, let's talk rare games for a minute. Because, obviously, mm -hmm. there's no discussion that needs to be had about whether or not we think a game is worth that amount of money. Uh, but, as far as rare games that maybe you don't have that you'd love to have a physical copy of, what games are we looking at? What, what games would you like to have a copy of? If you could pick them up for a reasonable price. Yeah, um, honestly, I have very little interest in a lot of the super rare games. Um, so if we want to talk just strictly NES, uh, original Nintendo, um, I've got my EverDrive, which does the, which allows me to play any and all that I want. However, there are a couple that the EverDrive does not accurately play or does not play well. Stuff like Castlevania Three. Um, there are certain uh, there are certain chips that the uh, that the Nintendo games had that the EverDrive doesn't handle well, so I would just get my hands on those personally. Um, but with regard to the probably the only of the rare games that I would ever feel happy to have a copy of would probably be the game Little Samson. It is more or less uh, a game very similar in style to Mega Man but it was released near the very end of the Nintendo life cycle, so very few copies were made, and it's rare because there weren't that many copies put into circulation. Um, and it's a, on in its own right, it is a legitimately enjoyable game to play. Nice. So Little Samson, you said? Yep, Little now, Samson. Now I believe you talked about that in gaming history once, didn't you? Um, you know, I may have, Mister Nice Guy. It's been thirty-six episodes. I, I know it's hard. Yeah, about do you, any number. Do you of remember games. everything we've talked about ever? <laughs> um, no, but I do remember a lot. I'm just kidding. Cool, man. Well, I don't know. For me, it'd probably be just because I really never played Chrono Trigger. I'd love to have a physical copy of it. I think that'd be a oh, fun yeah. game to have. Also, there was this game that I had back in the day called Alfred Chicken for the Game Boy. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, when you're a kid, you do dumb stuff. Me and my brother traded that game in, along with a mm -hmm. bunch of a couple other games, uh, like this game called Page Master, which was based on a popular movie at the time. We traded both of those Game Boy games in and got a copy of GoldenEye 64, I remember. And if I could have both of those cartridges back, I absolutely would, because they were both fun games. And I've mm -hmm. never really seen either of those games uh, just sitting around in used game stores. So that's it for me. Uh, next news story comes from GameSpot.com, and this one is, is really interesting to me. Uh, it says, Sony may have only released the PlayStation 4 Pro at the end of last year, but more hardware could come as soon as 2019, according to one analyst. 
Wedbush Wed Securities, Michael Pachter, has told Gaming Bolt that he expects the PlayStation 5 to launch in 2019 and that it will be a half-step similar to how, in Pachter's view, the PS4 Pro was a half-step over the base PS4. The PS4 Pro, uh, quote, the PS4 Pro is better from a technical perspective than the PS4. So I think that's a half step towards the PS5, he says. I think the PS5 will be another half step. He added, my expectation that it, my expectation that is that it's not coming out in 2018, that it will be 2019 or 2020, but probably 2019. Sony is probably timing it better because they are going to bring out a 4K capable device when the 4K TV market reaches 50% in the USA and 35% in the rest of the world. He goes on to say, I think Sony will probably get the next console, or actually I think Sony has probably got the next console cycle nailed down already. I think they know what they're going to do. Uh, Max, so I believe PS4 launched in 2014, and I believe I picked it up, yeah I picked it up like January 2015. Um, and, and now we're already talking about rumors. Once again, this is just a rumor. And in fact, it's not really even a rumor. It's just an analyst's prediction that we'll get a new console in the, in 2019. So here's the question for you. And I know you don't own a PS4, but you're probably fairly familiar with it. And you're familiar somewhat with the consoles and what they can do. Um, what steps other than graphics, if any, can consoles make at this point? Because in my mind, everything is already as good as it can be. You know, the online is solid. Um, the controllers are good. You know, I don't know if there's anything that I want or need in a console at this point. I, I feel like maybe consoles have reached their peak. Uh, you know, frankly, Mr. Nice Guy, I've felt that way for quite some time. It's why the most the newest video game console I have is a Wii. Um, and I only picked up a Nintendo Wii so that I could play Mega Man 9 and 10 because at that time those were the only, uh, were the, yeah, I think, yeah, those were the only places that you could pick them up. Um, and I wouldn't have gotten a Nintendo Wii if I hadn't seen it at a bargain price. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like, Consoles don't really have much place else to go for me. You know, what I'm looking for, consoles are either not doing as good of a job as a PC for me, mm -hmm. or they are doing about the same, but I've already got a PC. So, so yeah, I, I would say the only thing I think that consoles could do to improve would be to have better, uh, better exclusives. That would be kind of the only thing I can think of. Gotcha. Yeah, and I, you know, I'd agree with you. I feel like consoles have reached the point where they're competing with themselves, and I'm not even talking about like the PlayStation competing with the Xbox, with the with the Switch. I'm talking about with the most recent version of the PlayStation is now competing with the previous iteration of the PlayStation, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I think he referred to the PS4 Pro as a half step, like it's. It's a step up from the PS4, but a step down from where the PS5 will be. Additionally, I feel like the only real enhancements that, that consoles can make, other than competing with themselves, uh, are, are graphics, right? And, and the only reason they're making graphical improvements is because new TVs are coming out that have more pixels and things like that. So then the next console says, hey, now we got to make our console compatible with this new TV technology. And they're really not coming up with unique ideas to make the console itself better. 
Um, now, just to kind of explain what I mean when I say that consoles are competing with themselves, I mean, the PlayStation 4 had a certain interface, right? It, uh, it had a good-looking interface, and it worked at a certain speed. There was a little bit of lag. Um, download times, you know, kind of took took some time and things like that. Not just but not just based on your internet connection, but based on the power of the console. And then the PS4 Pro comes out, and it's 4K compatible, uh, and it's a step up as far as the speed of the way the operating system works. So other than improving the graphics on the PS5 and making them completely 4K compatible, the only thing they can really do is improve the interface um, and, and make it run more quickly. And to me, that's really not worth more money. Uh, now, will people pay more money for it? Absolutely, because they'll make software for it that will only be compatible on the PlayStation 5. Um, but other than that, I, I don't see them making any improvements that make it a must-buy day one. Uh, and that's kind of my stance on it. So, we'll see what happens. We'll see if 2019 is really the year. Uh, another thing that I wonder is, you know, they announced The Last of Us Part Two in mm -hmm. 2016. It has not come out yet. People predict that it's about two years away. Um, it makes me wonder, is this going to be on the PS4 or are they going to hold off and put it on the PS5? Uh, we, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I know they did that with the original Last of Us, but that was new at the time. It was a new IP. So I'm interested to see how Sony handles that dilemma. Moving on to our next news story, Mac. Um, you a Resident Evil fan, right? Uh, yes, I do actually enjoy Resident Evil and have some fun stories about it, but yes, that's the short answer. Okay, cool. Well, I know you don't own the, the PS4, but a PS4 and Xbox One version of as Resident Evil Revelations is coming out this fall. Uh, it says Capcom has announced a release date for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One version. The updated port will arrive in Japan on August 31st with a U.S. and European release following sometime in the fall. Along with enhanced 1080p visuals, the upcoming port features all the DLC from the original game, making it the definitive version. Capcom showcased the improved visuals back in May with a pair of gameplay trailers which followed the game's dual protagonists, Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield, as they solve puzzles and fend off the game's zombie-like ooze monsters. You can see those videos here on the website. Um, it originally debuted on the 3DS back in 2012 and was subsequently ported to the PS3, Xbox 360, Wii U, and PC in 2013. Did you ever play this one on the PC? Or um, did you skip it's this one? the one where they're on the boat, right? Uh, I honestly don't know. This is Resident Evil Revelations. I think I played a little bit of it on 3DS, but I didn't get that deep into it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the one on the boat. Um, no, actually, that one I skipped. So I spent a long time not being a fan of Resident Evil, and then I kind of got into it at Resident Evil 5 because I was able to play cooperatively, and then played some Resident Evil 4. I still haven't done 6, but, you know, I can do Resident Evil if it's cooperative. And Resident Evil Revelations is cooperative, so I I think I just need to find a sparring partner, actually. Yeah, PC. They got it on the PC, so... Mm -hmm. What's your favorite Resident Evil of all time? Uh, if you had to pick one. I don't know if you're that much into it or not. You know, I would, I would say 5, just because it's the one that... Mm, you know, it's the one that made me uh, interested in the franchise. I had played Resident Evil 2, but after 2, I was sort of like, yeah, I'm done with this. There you go. Okay, fair enough. Well, maybe they'll bring back two in HD graphics for the PC. Uh, next news story. We have two more, and then we'll be done. The End is Night, the new 2D platformer from the creators of Super Meat Boy and Closure, is out now on PC with a release date on Nintendo Switch and possibly other consoles coming in the future. 
You can download the game on Steam for $15. The game is a sprawling platformer where flopping appears to be your main form of attack against, quote, decaying mutant animal-like creatures. You play... Whoops, accidentally opened the YouTube video. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's pick up where I left off. You play Ash, but it's unclear just what Ash is. The game's developers say he is one of a few things that survived the end of the world. Check out some of the gameplay video below. In the end, Ash must complete an epic final quest like its developers' previous games. The end is nigh, uh, has a dose of dark humor. You collect video game cartridges and tumors <laughs> along your adventure with the intent to simply make a friend out of the pe pieces of people Ash finds along his journey. Uh, the, le the game has more than 600 levels and over 12 plus chapters. There are multiple endings, many extras, achievements, and quote, stress, according to the developer. Uh, so, Mac, you nodded when I started reading this. Have you heard about this game already? I have. Have you played it? Have you? Is it your I thing? I have not. It is not my thing because there's not enough... Because, uh, uh, frankly, I'm not a big fan of uh, games like You Want to Be the Guy where it's sort of a one-hit death type yeah. of situation. Dude, we're on the same page, and I hate these... Just like I like difficulty in my games, but I don't like the crushing like trial and error... You know, like, jump here, jump there, time it. Oh, no, wait, something happened that you weren't expecting. Here's here's a Twitch move that you need to avoid. Like, it, it's just, it's not my thing. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if I'll pick this game up. Now, that said, Super Meat Boy, I'm not going to sit here and say it was not a fantastic game. But there's a point where the difficulty just reached a ridiculous level, and I just put it down, and I never picked it back up. And that was on the Xbox 360. I finally just said, you know what, if I have to kind of get lucky to beat some of these levels... I'm not going to put this much time into it. Uh, did you play Super Meat Boy? I did, and I think it was like the hospital level or something. There were all these uh, there were all these jagged syringes all over the place. That's where I started to go like, yep, I am not going to bang my head against this level for this long. Yeah, I'm done. And I... that's when I said Sayonara, and I haven't touched it since either. I feel like it very quickly became a game that the only people who completed it were those who wanted the achievement that said they had completed it for bragging rights. Like, to me, and I could be wrong, but to me, it's just not fun to play a game like that. Where, you know, you're dying and you're dying and you're dying and you're dying and you're dying. And then finally, it's kind of like, have you seen Super Mario Maker videos? Yes. Some of the just intense ones that, where it's like the only reason that you're even beating this level is so you can put the fact that you beat it on YouTube. Like, you get nothing from beating it. You you don't... Get, I mean, it has to be showcased in some way that you beat the game. That's why people play those really crushingly hard games. So, anyway, uh, let's move, keep moving on. And we have one more news story, and this one involves Dota 2. Uh, it set a new record, and here's the article. This is on Game Informer. It says, The seventh annual International Dota 2 Championship has already surpassed last year's record-breaking esports prize pot of $20,770,460. Teams are being continuously added to the Battle Pass compendium, meaning the pot will continue to grow for the next few weeks. The prize pool tends to surge whenever one of the immortal treasures is released, and with one more treasure to go, we can expect another sp spike in the prize pool in the next few weeks. The tournament hosted by Valve will take place once again in Seattle's Key Arena. Seattle! That's where I grew up. <laughs> and runs from August 7th through 12th. Check out more about this year's international and get up to date uh, on these, this website. So, uh, Mac, esports, 
I feel like we're constantly pushing the fact that they're legitimate. I feel like this settles it, Colin Cowherd, and anyone else who disagrees. A $20 million prize pool for a game that is not even the most popular esports title, uh, I think that says something, don't you? Yeah, basically. Yeah. I, mean, I think it says it all. It doesn't say something, Mr. Nice Guy. It says it all. It says it says it all. I mean, I, I think we don't even need to elaborate. And that's our news stories for the week. Mac, I'll turn it over to you, man. All right. Well, welcome once again, everybody, to Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the known universe. And now we're going to do a little section called, um, that we like to call, Gaming History. Um, so we'll focus on maybe some of the games that have meant something to us as gamers personally, or maybe have uh, made big strides in gaming. Uh, this particular time of year is always a little interesting because the uh, the cycle of releases for games was always a little thin around July. But don't worry, we've got some fantastic ones to talk about. The first one, though, is a new twist on an old classic. I love Mega Man. Mr. Nice Guy was talking about uh, Mario Maker just a second ago. But there is something that's coming out in two days called Mega Maker. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned this. I, I forgot. Yes. No worries, no worries. In two days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 30 seconds from now, um, it will be released. Uh, mega-maker.com if you want to look into it. Um, it's basically a Mega Man fan game that is built in such a way for you to interact with it much the same way you would have or you would with Mario Maker. Yes. I plan on having some fun with it, so should you, but a great spin on a classic series. Um, that being said, unless you had anything you wanted to say about it, Mr. Nice Guy? Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited for this. It's only for PC, though, isn't it? Correct. Which is awesome, but I'd love to see it for consoles. I believe that the guy who's making, or the team that's making the game cannot charge ever, uh, Mm -hmm. because if they did, Capcom would potentially be able to to do a takedown, right? Do a Well, as we know from Nintendo, you don't need to be charging money for the company to come after you. However, Capcom has shown a little bit more restraint with regard to its fan games. Um, I have actually interacted uh, personally with the makers of several fan games, such as uh, Mega Man Revenge of the Fallen, um, a few other things. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that is uh, that that Capcom seems to be like, well, if you're not profiting from it, we'll be fine. Uh, Mega Man Unlimited, Rockman Minus Infinity, um, these sorts of games that, uh, that, you know, Capcom is just fine with existing. Nintendo could take a lesson from their book. Yeah, I'm excited um, to see, and I believe it contains uh, artwork and stuff from Mega Man 1 through 6, right? So it's just it's not like Mega Man X stuff. I, I'm I'm like 99 percent um, sure. Yeah, it's it's all classic style. So it even includes stuff from Mega Man's nine and ten as oh, well. Nice. Excited, which to were see done it. in the classic in the classic style. Nice. Yeah. So it's it it's cool stuff. But on to some actual gaming history. Um, we uh, in uh, years past this past week we saw a fan the release of a fantastic game that would spawn a whole new franchise of. People smoking cigars and, you know, giving money to strippers. I am, of course, talking about Duke Nukem. Yes, yes, folks. Duke Nukem released in 1991. Um, it was, at that point in time, a side-scroller, a side-scrolling uh, shoot-em-up. 
or uh, sorry, not shoot 'em up, a side-scrolling gunning platform thing. Um, very much in the same style as Commander Keen. It was made by uh, by uh, a lot of the same team uh, when they were working at Apogee Software. So, uh, so yep, Commander or uh, sorry, Duke Nukem. Uh, released in three chapters. First one came out in 1991 in this week past. Now, the next thing I want to talk about um, for gaming history uh, has has a visual component. So I'll just uh, mention it for those people who are listening to this after the fact. I hold in my hand an Xbox game, uh, Jade Empire. Uh, very good one. Uh, it is noteworthy for game history, gaming history, because uh, uh, because it's old. I haven't played it, and I picked it up at a pawn shop uh, recently. Um, and uh, this is the other one, the one that actually has something to do with it, which is Prince of Persia: The Two Thrones. Now, again, this also has a visual component, nice. which you will see on uh, my phone. I took a photo, and I'm holding it up to the screen. It happens to be uh, my save games from. Prince of Persia, The Two Thrones. I didn't actually beat this game, but it was this past week back in 2006. It was July 8th in 2006 where on my Xbox I made the last save. And I don't remember where this game went to, but I picked it up last week. I popped it in to my Xbox, which I still have and still use, uh, my original Xbox, and uh, bam, on the anniversary, on the 11-year anniversary of my last save on this game, I found it at a pawn shop and tossed it into my uh, uh, tossed it into my Xbox. So I think that is uh, worth mentioning for gaming history. Eleven years on the anniversary. Didn't plan it. Didn't even know it was going to happen. It was just a heck of a lot of fun. So, uh, so anyway, um, that is, uh, as I said, you know, gaming history is a little bit sparse because most people tend to release their games around the holidays and not so much, uh, not so much in the middle of summer. But, uh, but we've got some good ones coming up for next week's podcast. But that's what I have for um, for gaming history. Now, I know that we actually have a uh, uh, that that um, misses the Mac had actually given me a, uh, a, a a question that she wanted us to answer, to, to hear from us. So, Mr. Nice Guy, I don't know if uh, if we've got anybody else lined up for the for the viewer question, but in the off chance that we don't, I've got one, just saying. Yeah, so here's where we're at, because I was just reviewing the ones that got tweeted at me, mm-hmm. and we have one, but I feel like it's a topic that we have beaten to death. Uh, it involves the SNES classic and mm. inventory levels mm, mm-hmm. and what we think will happen. And so I ki- I feel like we've already talked about that so much mm-hmm. over the past few episodes. So, yeah, let's go ahead and go with Mrs. The Mac's question. And you can do that this week if you okay, want. Okay, yeah, let's do that. So Mrs. The Mac had the following to ask. She said, if there is one um, old game, one, you know, o- old game from your childhood or from whatever that you think is really good and you would want to see remade, which one would it be? Mm, just one, huh? Just, it's like, yeah. it's, it's like Lay's potato chips, except you can only pick just one. Um, Jeez. Uh, that's really tough. I actually think I know what it would be. Do you want to do this first or do you want me no, to do no, it first? No, no, please. So here's the one that comes to mind first. 
and it's actually one that has already been remade but i feel like it was remade very po poorly mm -hmm. and that's goldeneye 64. Mm -hmm. uh, they did remake it for the nintendo wii and and i shouldn't say very poorly but i feel like nintendo's poor online combined with the lack of ability to communicate just completely killed what made that game so fun and what made it fun was the communication and the trash talk and things like that now we've we've kind of given up the fact or, or resolved the fact that uh that couch co-op is dying you know and that's what goldeneye 64 was is it was couch co-op but i feel like it still could have been a really really good game if there was online that was solid and if there was uh online chat that was solid so i would love to see that game remade again i know that it's been done in steam in the form of goldeneye source uh i've never played that but i know it's not as popular as it could be so goldeneye 64 for a mainstream console rare i believe owns the rights so i mean they could really technically do it for like the, the xbox one or something and and have the solid online and kind of bring back the glory days even add a mode with bad graphics on purpose, just so we can kind of remember how far it's come. So we can uh, see how, those polygons. So we can see those pixels and polygons, man, and, and that odd job uh, with, the, with the paintballs and all that stuff. So that's my pick. Um, for my part, I've thought about this question. I've had, I've had some time to think it over. And uh, there was this game that, uh, that, I, um, that I played a lot, and it's not Mega Man. Is actually Quest for Glory, so you want to be a hero. And um, this was a game series where you started out, you got a character, you played him through the first one, and it was, you know, a point-and-click RPG. And at the end of the first game, you could import the character into the next one. And then you did that at the end of num game two, game three, game all the way to game five. So you essentially had a, had a character that had been with you through five full games and uh, and you know you really grew attached to um, I think if there's one game I'd love to see remade uh, and brought up to you know brought up to today's I would love to see it be the quest for glory uh, the quest for glory game specifically quest for glory one um, I would just love a game like that where I actually felt like I progressed um, it had been a bit on my mind because in uh, in Prince of Persia: The Two Thrones, at the end of the previous game, which was Prince of Persia: Warrior Within, you could end the game in one of two ways, and that was supposed to impact your game for uh, for the for the um, next one, for the third one in the trilogy. But okay. it didn't really do that. You kind of it kind of went the same way, basically. No matter what, you just had a different opening intro. Which, in my opinion, is not really changing gameplay. Whereas in this one, you know, if you were, uh, if you had built your character up as like a thief or a magic user or a fighter, that stuck with you. That opened up uh, areas of the thing. If you were a fighter, you would have the option of becoming a paladin later on. If you were inducted into the order by saving people and stuff like that. If you were a magic user, you had the option of being uh, inducted into this uh, this guild of wizards. If you were a thief, you could uh, go on to like own your own thieves guild. Um, there were a lot of things that were sort of uh, uh, that were sort of tied together in the game, and they did rely on: Did you have this choice? Did you go this route? Um, in a much more meaningful way than something like, "Oh, you decide." Spoiler alert: You decided to kill the 
kill this person? Um, well, I guess that means that they won't be there in the intro scene to the next game. <laughs> that's that's literally where the dif- where the difference was. And like it, they won't be in the artwork. Yep, they they weren't in the intro video. That was that was basically it. And I was very disappointed because when I find out that something like that's going to happen. I tend to, like, save so that I can see it multiple ways, so that I can experience all the different ways. So, so yeah. A- anyway, I guess the thing I'm most attached to is the idea of, uh, of, char- of long-term consequences um, to your actions, and I'd love to see more of that, and I'd especially love to see a Quest for Glory uh, remake. So, there we go. Good question, Mrs. The Mac. And you know, I would I any game that's remade at this point, I want to see more retro games remade. And and I want retro games that have multiplayer. I'm going to give that as like a sweeping secondary answer to the question cuz I feel like we already have plenty of HD remasters or even just HD remakes of games that were already in HD on the PS3 or the Xbox 360 coming back. I want to see some of the games where the sh- servers were shut down be brought back you know what i mean put some life back into these games especially since so many developers will not allow fans to recreate the games and make their own servers uh that's what i want to see more of let us relive the glory days of our favorite games that still would have a dedicated audience so very good question from mrs the mac and i know i usually do that uh segment but uh, Mac, we're kind of back to you again because you usually handle the next one. Indeed, and the next question is uh, the next segment is our kick or kickstart segment. So um, this involves a little bit of interactivity for those who have come around to the uh, to the live recording of the event. Um, so I'll just go ahead and put a link so that you can take a look, and we will talk about Fight Night. So. What is Fight Night? At its core, it is a first-person brawling game set in a sort of dungeon crawl style. Um, the uh, the artwork is definitely a little bit low res. It's trying to draw on these sorts of dungeon crawlers, like not quite Eye of the Beholder, but right around that level. You move in set increments forward, backward, left, right, uh, turning, and so on, and then you wind up getting into fights, and you fight the, uh, the enemies in front of you. You punch, you kick, you do combos, um, you have cooldown and recharge on certain skills, uh, you can throw people into other people. Um, the artwork itself is pretty enjoyable, um, and the, the, the idea is kind of solid. It reminds me of another, you know, of another old Xbox game called Breakdown, which was actually a first-person shooter brawler that I still have and, uh, and have played a couple of times. Sadly, it did not age well, but, uh, but not all games can age well, uh, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's something that plays for me upon a sort of sleeping memory, and uh, and it's something that I quite enjoy. Um, I think the artwork does a pretty good job of doing justice to the uh, um, uh, to the subject matter, and uh, the uh, the controls are pretty good. The foes are all right, but I've only seen um, a small amount of the game. Now the Kickstarter. Specifically, they've got uh, they've got a few people in there, 
And uh, where is the breakdown? Sorry, I thought I had this just a minute ago. Um, okay, are you wanting to know as far as how much has been put in? Oh, yeah, no, no. I've got how much is being. They have blown past their goal. As a matter of fact, I had this when we were still going to do um, do our thing on July 4th that we didn't wind up doing. But when we were still going to do that, um, I was ready to, you know, trot this out on July 4th. So since then, it has been fully funded. Um, and, uh, and they're going to be pushing ahead, and I could have sworn that there was a price breakdown, but I'm probably just confusing that with somebody else. But either way, um, it's being made in Canada. If you're interested in the game, it's about 15 US dollars, 20 Canadian dollars, in order to get a digital copy of the day, uh, sorry, of the game, estimated delivery in 2018. Um, there is no option for a, uh, for an alpha access, uh, which is something that we see a lot with Kickstarter games. This one's just a, you'll get it when it's done, 2018. They do include some mention of this is going to be done on time, um, barring, you know, extreme injury or death. We're not going to be delayed on this one. We're on track. Which, you know, uh. Um, now, I am going to say, though, that... I must admit, I've got I've got this one rule, this one big rule about Kickstarters, and that is I need a playable demo. I, I didn't know that was one of your rules. No, you didn't, Mr. Nice Guy. I no, am, and people who I'm listen to every episode of our podcast probably had no idea. No, either. you probably didn't. So I'm glad that I I'm glad that I mentioned it then, because it's important to me. I need to see example that you can do it all. That the music is on point, that the controls, that the visuals, that it all works together. I need to be able to see that you've got it. Show you know, you can show me pre-rendered stills, but that does nothing. Or even GIFs. What really does it is when you show me that you can have it all come together in one spot and that I can get my hands on it, even if it's something small. So they do have a demo. Um, now, all of this taken together, for me, for me, this game is a kickstart. I say kickstart this one. Um, now... The time comes for all of us at here, based on the presentation, based on what you've seen. You go ahead and vote in the chat. Say kick whether or not you think this should be kicked out, or kick start it if you think this is a project that is uh, that is worth your time and maybe even your money. So for my part, I say kick start. Mr. Nice Guy, what about you? Yeah, man. Here's the thing that I like about it. Here's where they get a few bonus points from me. Under creation, it says, At this point, Fight Night has been under serious development since the beginning of 2017, but its history goes back much farther than that, all the way to some of our childhoods. In fact, and then it shows a sketch uh, from back in the day, and I assume that this was really drawn back in 1997, as the picture says, of one of the guys who's working on the game drew like a sketch of this game and what it would look like, which I think is absolutely awesome. He's basically bringing a childhood dream to life, uh, by doing this game. Now that said, it just doesn't catch me. Uh, it just doesn't resonate with me. You know, I'm looking at it. It looks like Doom with with updated cell shading graphics, which I think is great. Uh, but I, I just don't see why anyone, or I should say, why I would put time into playing a game like this. Uh, it just doesn't. It's it's almost like too old school, with with not enough new flavor. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, 
so it's not my thing. I'm going to say kick it, man, because I wouldn't put time into playing a game like this. Okay, well, this is a very divided one so far. We've got uh, we've got a kickstart from, uh, from Kane. We've got a kickstart from Rolf, a kickstart from me, and then we've got a kick from uh, Mr. Nice Guy and Pazzy. Um, so, yeah, kind of div divisive on this one, but hey, that, that just means that we've picked a good one to discuss. Um, it will be interesting to see how it goes. I think I might actually, uh, I think I'm probably going to put the money down on this one, and, uh, and, well, I mean, we'll see it eventually. I do like to report back on how the Kickstarters, uh, have gone over time, so, uh, so I look forward to hopefully reporting back to you guys, uh, on this one. But, uh, but that's it from our Kick or Kickstart segment. Awesome. And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for the main event. Just kidding. It's not the main event, but it is my favorite segment of the show, a segment we like to call the Dummy of the Week. 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 A segment of the show where we talk about someone who did something stupid, idiotic, or downright dumb, and I make fun of him a little bit. Now, this week we have a traditional dummy of the week. It's someone who actually just did something real stupid. This is on, what's the website? Miami Herald. It says, Miami-Dade police detectives had noticed that crime victims were followed from their financial institution in northwest Miami-Dade and were subsequently robbed or had their vehicles burglarized. On Wednesday, they set up surveillance that led to the arrest of five men in their 20s. The five were charged with a vehicle burglary, grand theft of a firearm, petite theft stemming from stealing video games. Excuse me, petty theft <laughs> stemming from stealing It's all those video petite games. fours. It's all those petite fours from my kid's party, man. They got me pronouncing words wrong. Loitering and prowling and possession of marijuana, according to a police report. On the day of their arrest, Shane Rammings, Caleb Brown, Andrew Ramos, Christian Velasquez, Devont Carter and Devontae Carter were spotted around 10.30 a.m. in the Wells Fargo Bank parking lot on Northwest 186th Street and 67th Avenue. Police were surveilling the lot due to recent vehicle burglaries in bank parking lots in the area. Detectives spotted the five men spoke, smoking marijuana in and around a silver Nissan Ultima before they exited the parking lot, the arrest record says. The detectives followed the men to the Walmart on Northwest, blah, 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 the address, according to the report. Detectives used the store's video surveillance system to witness Brown placing five to six video games in a book bag as the four others gathered around him, according to the arrest reports. I'm going to read that part one more time. Detectives used the store's surveillance system to witness Brown placing five to six video games in a book bag as four others gathered around him, according to arrest reports. After the men left Walmart without attempting to pay for the game, the detectives arrested them. In searching the car, detectives found marijuana bullets. Wait, I read that terribly. Marijuana. All apparently. they all they do is they just uh, they just make you hungry. Yeah. <laughs> While attempting to pay without attempting to pay for the game, blah blah blah, police found marijuana, comma bullets, a black mask, and a stolen gun, according to arrest reports. So here's where this is stupid. This might just seem like a regular story, but we we always like to emphasize we don't condone crime. We think it's stupid. We think it's bad. But there's a lot of illogical things about these guys' behavior. Why are you going in a group of five people into a store to steal something? We talked about this a few weeks ago when there were people who went into GameStop and there were five of them in the getaway car. All you're doing is incriminating a high number of people who really had nothing to do with the crime. It makes no sense. 
Also, this is like the worst strategy. I'm going to steal a bunch of games and put them in my backpack. I need you guys to stand around me. But don't block the cameras completely. Just block employees from seeing me do it. The police, if they're lucky enough to be there because they followed us here from the bank, we're out of luck. But other than that, just stand around me and, and it looks like we're just talking. This is ridiculous. Here's the other thing that's dumb about this news story. They kept robbing people outside the bank multiple days in a row. And then on the last day, they didn't even rob anybody, but they just met there before they went to go steal stuff. You think after a while, if you're robbing people outside a bank day after day, you know it's going to get reported. So after a while, you think you'd stop going to the exact same place to rob people. And then, like I said, on the day they got caught, they didn't even rob anyone. They just met there and then drove somewhere else to rob people so they could get caught by the police. These are the worst criminals of all time. They're all 20, 21 years old. Now they're going to be tried as adults. I think this is stupid, Mac. That's our dummy of the week. All right. And I agree with you. So now on to uh, the last, our last little segment happens to be Legalese. Legalese? Where we talk a little bit about some of the court cases, some of the lawsuits, some of the things that have impacted the way we interact with, buy, sell, or even, you know, consume our video game content. This uh, particular month is the month of July, and I have been promising for quite some time that I was going to focus our legally segments in the month of July on one overall theme. Yes. And I am here to deliver on that. We're going to focus on uh, a very particular individual whose name is Jack Thompson. So, Jack Thompson, for, for all of the things that I can say about, uh, about this guy, Jack Thompson, I have to tell you that I must say he is a man of strong convictions. Um, as evidenced by a wonderful letter that he wrote to Bruce Springsteen. Um, so, uh, you may or may not be familiar with the hip-hop group Two Live Crew. Uh, you know, uh, I had never really heard any of their songs. But, uh, but I was aware from this event that, uh, that the two live crew sampled um, some of the song Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, um, and they made a song called Band in the USA. Um, now, as a result, Jack Thompson, a man of very strong convictions, wrote a letter to Bruce Springsteen and told him that he needed, it was his responsibility to protect the song from... Quote, from its theft by a bunch of clowns who traffic toxic waste to kids, or else I will tell the nation about your tacit approval of their messages. Uh-oh. So let me just say that I think we're off to the right foot, understanding a little bit about this person, Jack Thompson, and the kind of person who he is that, uh, that you know, uh, a threat to a singer-songwriter is what he feels is the appropriate course of action for um, something that he disagrees with. That being said, the reason why you've probably heard about Jack Thompson is that he is embedded in the narrative of video game violence. Um, Video game violence as a topic is in large part a topic thanks to the efforts of Jack Thompson. Um, So... Uh, maybe it might be a bit much, you know, he might be a bit much. I think that uh, that one of the things that Jack Thompson um, 
really feels about uh, about the world that we can all agree on is that practice makes perfect. So much so that in his mind, he has called video games murder simulators what? on multiple occasions. And, uh, and he feels as though these murder simulators are the problems with violence and shootings and all sorts of things and need to be curtailed in order to prevent problems. Um, he's been involved in about five plus lawsuits to prevent these murder simulators, aka video games, from coming to market. And so because it's the month of July and I want to I want to give an overview of some of his stuff, I will start with the first and probably most famous case, and uh, we'll talk some more about his uh, about his career and about video game violence in subsequent months. But this first one I want to talk about is from the 1997 Heath High School shooting shooting case. Um, I believe it was Heath High School in I want to say Kentucky, um, where there was a shooting, and after this uh, this school shooting happened. Um, Thompson represented some of the families of the victims, several of the families of the victims, and sued for $33 million in damages, um, naming naming the responsible parties, uh, Microsoft, Blizzard, um, id, Ubisoft, Capcom, Interplay, and Callisto, because the shooter had played and had games from those companies. Um, he had games such as, oh gosh, I had the list here, but I seem to have lost it. Not important, but he had games that, uh, that, um, Jack Thompson felt were these murder simulators and were directly responsible for the, uh, for the shooting. There were also several other companies that, uh, that this, uh, that this, uh, uh kid who did the shooting, um, possessed items from for example one was a movie and so the suit also named this movie company and there were several uh, internet websites that were also uh, uh, that were also listed in this suit on account of them not doing enough to prevent uh, to prevent these murder simulators and these murderous ideas from uh, from getting hold in this young man's mind this is crazy this is um, ridiculous so the suit of course was dismissed uh, because in the court's estimation, it failed to make a legally viable claim, which is the legal way of saying, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch, Jack. That's a bit of a stretch. Come on, Jack. But nonetheless, um, in spite of being told, don't you come back no more, no more, Jack Thompson <laughs> will be back, would be back on many occasions, and he will be back in our next episode of Legalese, where we tell you some more fantastic and interesting things about Jack Thompson. But in the meantime, do yourself a favor and do not Wikipedia this man. Um, I want to be the one to introduce you and show you the life of Jack Thompson. So uh, that's what we'll do for, uh, for today, and that will end our Legalese segment. But stick around for future episodes because we are going to talk about some fantastic things that will bring us delight and laughs. That's right, Mac. That could not have been delivered more eloquently. I love that hit the road, Jack, thing at the end. Uh, guys and girls and boys and kids, that has been episode number 36 of Two Nerds in a Pod. Before we go, we like to do one last segment called... What we've been watching and what we've been playing where we talk about the media that we have been partaking in and enjoying. 
Uh, it can be comic books too. It can be whatever nerdy stuff you've been into the past couple weeks since we haven't done a podcast in about two weeks. Mac and viewers in the chat, let us know what you've been up to. But Mac, where have you, what have you been been doing, man? What you've been watching? What you've been playing? Um, well, so after I finished Better Call Saul, I started roping in lots more people. Um, and so been watching Better Call Saul with them, uh, almost through on my third viewing of what? Better Call Saul. It's a good show. It's, yeah, it's great. I have people over, we have popcorn, we watch, it's good stuff. Um, also, uh, we wa- Mrs. The Mac and I watched the entirety of Glow. Um, it's a new Netflix original and it is, uh based on the uh, women's wrestling, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, G-L-O-W, and how that got off the ground. Um, uh, Some, of course, artistic liberties were taken, but uh, I did also watch a documentary about the real people from GLOW, and it seems like, you know, whereas whereas in the original thing there were like 36 uh, women wrestlers, uh, in this there's only like 12. So they take some liberties and sort of, you know, uh, it's like this person, you can certainly see, oh, this person in the dramatized version is like kind of this person and this person put together and, you know, and so on. Fun stuff like that. But it, uh, but it's, it was really, it was really fun. I really enjoyed Glow. Um, We've also been watching uh, some sci-fi. We've been watching through some more Star Trek. As for what I've been playing, um, I've been getting back to uh, some of these Xbox games on account of this great uh, pawn shop find. So, uh, so I've I've got to get myself a Wii Motion Plus so that I can actually play Skyward Sword. But I'm this much closer to having all the Zelda games. I've been thinking for a while. I've wanted to play through all the Zelda games in uh, in timeline order, the official timeline. Um, you know the official Zelda timeline, yeah, yeah. and it starts with uh, with Skyward Sword. What would you so, say yeah. is your favorite Zelda? Because it, it sounds well, like you've made it through many of them, and now most of them. Um, I've done Ocarina of Time, uh, Oracle of Seasons, um, uh, um, 1 and 2, and Link to the Past. So I've only done about 5, and there are a lot more, so I kind of I kind of want to get through them all, but so far Link to the Past has just been my favorite. It was really good, start to finish. This is going to be controversial, but one of my favorites, favorite Zeldas, is Link's Awakening. And I don't know why, mm. but something about the handheld, uh, there were just really, really cool um, equipment in that game. And I, and I like the puzzles, you know, it... It just was a really good handheld game as a kid, middle school, you know. Uh, and so I have a lot of memories of that one. You know, I will take issue with you on Link's Awakening because every time you got one of those defense acorns or Triforce pieces of power, it always stopped you to tell you that you had picked it up, even if it was for the thousandth time. It's like, congratulations, you can do more damage now. It's like, I get it. Please stop telling me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, cool, man. Uh, now, I've been watching a lot and playing a little bit. Uh, we, I think I told you, maybe it was last time we finished watching Flash, so now we're trying to get caught up on Arrow and Supergirl, uh, the most recent seasons. And, man, I feel like the DC Universe is killing it. Here's my stance on the whole comic book TV show movie thing. Hands down, Marvel makes better movies. There's no debate. 
Um, and in fact, we're thinking about doing a thing where we go back and watch all the Marvel movies in order, my wife and I. Uh, Marvel kills it as far as movies. DC needs to step their game up, although I heard Wonder Woman was sick. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, Justice League sick. trailer just came out. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff on the horizon. But here's my here's the bottom line. I feel like Marvel kills it in the movies. DC absolutely destroys Marvel in the TV shows. Have you yet finished Jessica Jones? No. You're, you're trying to I, tell me Jessica Jones will change my opinion? Jessica Jones is amazing. Okay. Luke Cage is pretty, uh, pretty I, excellent. I, so too. I heard Luke Cage was good. I heard Iron Fist was terrible. It's embarrassing yeah. that I haven't watched all these, but it's just time. You know what I mean? Oh, Daredevil, no, I, it, I liked I Daredevil a lot, and you didn't, though. You've got, you've got four kids, man. Nobody here, nobody here is thinks that you're not doing the best with your time. <laughs> but, but I will say that I, that Iron Fist of them all, um, it probably goes for me: Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Fist in best to worst. Iron Fist, and the problem is with Iron Fist, they just didn't have good. Well, you know what? I'm not going to go on about that. We'll go on about this some other time. I'll let you know what I disliked about Iron Fist at another time. But I just think Jessica Jones is really good. Well, now here's the thing. Now they're doing a team-up with uh, with Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist. Do you think it's going to be good? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay, so you think the goodness of Jessica Jones and Luke Cage will balance out in what in your mind is the mediocrity of Iron Fist and Daredevil? Uh, really, when we're talking about it, it's like Jessica Jones, uh, um, Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Fist is way down here. Wow. So, wow. I mean, it, it's these three are going to balance out Iron Fist's whatever it is. I mean, Iron Fist, is, yeah. But those three are going to hold it, and Iron Fist, you know, might be kind of fun. See, and here's the uh, thing, though, and we can talk, we're going over time because we're going to talk about this. You have not really gotten into The Flash. Like, you haven't, you gave it a chance, but you didn't really like it. Now, here, mm-hmm. Flash is awesome. I really liked Gotham. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Arrow. At first, I didn't, and I feel like it has its ups and downs, but I've gotten back into it. And to me, those three shows right there are really killing what Marvel is doing on the TV show front. Uh, Flash is just that good to me. Uh, alternatively, I don't like DC's Legends of Tomorrow. I think it's terrible. Um, well, don't get me wrong. I actually, I actually kind of enjoy enjoy Gotham. I especially love, I love Fish Mooney. She is fan freaking. Yeah, she's a great actress. That's Will Smith's wife. You may know this, Jada mm-hmm. Smith. Uh, excellent, excellent show. Uh, and then you know, Marvel is coming out with the Runaways, which I'm excited for because that's my favorite comic book series of all time. They actually the trailer leaked online, so for any of you guys who have not heard of the Runaways or seen it, go check out the trailer. Uh, really, really great comic. I don't think the trailer does the comic justice, but we'll see what they can do with the TV show. Uh, also, you know, you got you got the Legions. I started watching Legion. I couldn't get into it. It's supposed to be an X-Men-like show. Now I believe Fox is actually coming out with an X-Men uh, actual show. But anyway, other stuff I've been watching, um, Madam Secretary, which Mac, I'm, I'm like 99% sure that you and Mrs. The Mac would really like it because uh, it's a political drama. You know, it, it has a lot of issues. Like the most recent episode we watched dealt with... Um, with Syria and you know with our relationship with them and like the Secretary of State is the main character and her brother is uh, is like a volunteer in Syria trying to help the people so it showed like the political debate of her being the one who had to go after you know the the quote-unquote bad people in Syria 
while also having to sacrifice innocence in order to get the bad heads of state or what are perceived as the bad heads of state in the show and her brother saying hey wait a minute i work there i live there and you're going after all these people with with kids being collateral damage um and so it just kind of showed the political debate there i think you guys would like that show um, lots of really, really real life issues uh, and, and moral dilemmas and things like that. And I'm not taking a stance either direction. That's not our podcast, but really good show if you guys like that kind of stuff. As far as what I have been playing, uh, picked up has been Heroes for the Nintendo Switch. Very, very average game, but I've been getting into that because it was on sale. Um, still doing the retro stuff. Lots of Mrs. Pac-Man. Uh, going back through and playing Donkey Kong, or excuse me, uh, Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2, all those old Game Boy games. And then once again, I've never finished Donkey Kong Country 3, so I've actually been going through and playing that on the Retro Pie on the arcade. And it's really, really good. Like, it's a solid game that came out at the wrong time, so I've been uh, been playing that. And that's it for me. Mac, we have a lot of stuff in the chat that people have been watching and playing. We do. I'll just uh, quickly summarize them. So uh, we've got some people who are too busy to watch or play games in some cases, what? but nonetheless, we do have some Star Trek Deep Space Nine, some Star Trek Next Generation, solid choices, one and all. Um, the Yakuza series of video games, which I know are very well loved. Uh, we've got some Stellaris, A Healer Only Lives Twice, and The Enchanted Dungeon. Um, and of course, uh, some extra love for Wonder Woman as a fantastic movie. Um, you know... I have to admit, Mr. Nice Guy, one of these days, one of these days I might do a spin-off, uh, spin-off episode about what Mac thought was wrong with this million-dollar movie. But, uh, but Wonder Woman, fantastic, and, uh, yeah, so that's what, uh, that's what it looks like people are playing and, uh, watching in the chat. Nice. Now, guys, we do have, uh, should I tell them about the live thing we're thinking of doing, or should we hold off on that for now? You know what? Uh, let's see. You know, uh, yeah, let's tell them. Let's tell them so they can be here for it. Yeah, guys, and actually, I think it might be next. It's week after It's next. the week after next. I will actually be in Utah. And so Mac and I are planning on getting together, recording the episode live, as we always do. But the difference is that we'll be in the same room. So the chemistry, the gaming commentary chemistry will be through the roof, you guys, just like it used to be back in the day when we used to call this show a little thing called Man Cave TV. Uh, so that'll be not next week, but the week after. We will keep you guys updated. Uh, and that's kind of what we had for this week, Mac. Anything else you want to say to the people before we wrap it up? No, just uh, just be sure to tune in. Some couch co-op podcasting. That's exactly right. You guys really are the best viewers on Twitch. Once again, this is Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy, episode number 36. Hit us up on iTunes. Like it, share it, subscribe it, and most of all, keep being nerdy. We'll be back next Tuesday, 9 p.m. Central Standard, 8 p.m. Mountain. Same bat place, same bat time, same bat rhymes. Keep it nerdy. Deuces. <laughs>